Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today. We are so grateful that you're with us uh, this morning, or if you're watching by live stream or listening to this by podcast, welcome. Uh, my name's Scott, one of our pastors here, and uh, we are in this series, Home Improvement. Uh, we're talking about relationships, we've talked about marriage, we've talked about parenting, we've talked about singleness, all kinds of uh, relationships, uh, and today we're going to be talking about something that is uh, something that affects 100% of us, no doubt, and that is dealing with difficult people. Or, or for some of us, it's dealing with you, right? No, 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 no. It's not you. Nobody in here is difficult, I'm sure. Uh, no, I, have to, I have to be really upfront. Weeks and months ago when we were planning this series, uh, today we were actually going to be talking uh, some more about parenting. We are going to be talking about raising kids. And last week, uh, Mel knocked it out of the park, this message on honor. And uh, it totally... I mean, I'm sitting there listening, I'm like, well, this is useless. I don't need to be, I don't need to come up and restate anything. Uh, so we switched gears a little bit. But I'm telling you, uh, for just one, some of the most amazing tidbits of, of parenting, it affects all relationships, but especially parenting, um, go back and, and check out her message last week on honor. It was just such a blessing. It was really, really good. And so that's why we, we've uh, switched gears a little bit for today to give us a chance to talk about this. I, I'm entitling this message, Sandpaper People. I don't know if you ever heard that term. You probably have. Uh, I heard it uh, many years ago. I think Zach Cliff's one of the first ones I heard use that term. And I thought, that is brilliant. And I really like it because it kind of like, it's a, li- it's a little bit different than just saying difficult people, right? Because sandpaper can be useful. Am I right? Right? It's a perfect term. Uh, if I were going to give this one of those clever subtitles, it would be tough love for people who are tough to love. Uh, but this is a topic that is extremely important because we all have difficult relationships. I like to say difficult relationships rather than difficult people, but we all have these, these folks in our life that can be tough uh, to deal with. And as I insinuated, some of us are the difficult people that everyone else has to deal with. And it's funny, as soon as you bring up the subject, you know, in a room like this, uh, if you say, we're going to be talking about dealing with difficult people, nearly 100% of us uh, immediately picture somebody else. We're not picturing ourselves, oh, is the sermon about me? And we picture somebody else. We always assume we're the easy, free, and easy, you know, easy to get along with folks. And those are the difficult people. Um, but regardless, there are difficult people out there. And some of the most difficult people in our lives, as we know, are the people that we, we share the most intimate relationships with. And so this fits very nicely into this series on our intimate relationships. Some of the most difficult people in your life might be people in your immediate family, right? The people in your extended family, um, your in-laws, right? It, it might be people you're like, I love them, but I don't like them, right? Those are, you know, those kind of folks. Um, as well as people that you might work with all the time, you work closely with or that you deal with every day in your social circles. Um, it might be your neighbor next door. It might be the person on the other side of the sanctuary from you right now. Uh, it might be the person you came in the car with this morning and, and you know, uh, you don't look next to you, but that might be the person. Um, by the way, <laughs> speaking of that, in, in two weeks when we finish this series out, uh, we'll be div- dealing specifically 
with difficult uh, issues within marriage. We'll be talking about marriage and when marriage goes sideways and divorce and remarriage and those kind of tough issues. We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. But for all the other difficult people in your life, today's your day. And of course, when we're, we're talking about a series, in a series like this, we're not just looking for answers from pop psychology. There's a lot of good advice out in the world about dealing with difficult people. We are looking specifically at how the kingdom of God changes the game for us. We are kingdom people. We are ambassadors to the king, from the kingdom, right? And so we are kingdom people. And how does that change the approach, our approach to these issues? The kingdom of God, as we've been talking about, it is the life that uh, we choose to walk in. God, it, the kingdom has come, and it is a realm. I, I think of it like a bubble, but it is a realm in which God's will reigns around us. It, it, he, the way he reigns, the way he moves here on this earth as it does in heaven. That was the prayer of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we can, we can choose, by the grace of God, we can choose to walk in that kingdom and make our life a realm over which his will reigns. Um, it's the difference between a disciple who follows Jesus and is committed to reflecting Jesus in his or her heart, in her relationships, versus someone who is living in this world just spiritually blind, uh, reacting at the mercy of whatever life throws at them, whatever people act like around them. So they're just at the mercy of that. So we want to be kingdom people. Now, there's nothing particularly kingdom about relating to people who are easy to relate to. The, you know, the, the, the ones who are easy to love. Your very best friend, they're just, you know, you just have so much in common. That's not super king to me to be able to relate to them very well. Um, everyone can do that. The world can do that. The world has best friends, right? When we have to deal with really difficult people, the people who drive us crazy, the boss who's tyrannical, um, the, the spouse who can be really so inconsiderate, the kids who never call except when it's to complain about something or ask for money, right? Or the parents, if you're grown, the parents who won't butt out of your life, you know, those guys, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the in-laws who just seem nuts compared to the way you were raised, right? There's like, they, how, why are they like that? And, or the bizarre neighbor that you have to deal with or the backstabbing coworker. These are the people. Um, or even more, our enemies, which the New Testament uses that, that term. The New Testament calls people who are actively working against you, uses the term enemies. And what does it tell us to do to our enemies? Love them. Come on. Pray for them, not fight them. No, we're supposed to love and pray. So, so the New Testament has a lot to, to say here. Um, and so here is important because here we actually can see the degree to which our life is kingdomized if I could use that word, the degree to which the character of Jesus is infused in us and, and that we're living that out. So in many ways, this is, is a benchmark kind of a message. Ivan Tate, who's going to be here next week, uh, he said something that was so powerful. This was years ago. He said it while he was here, though. Um, Mel quoted Ivan last week. I'm quoting him here now. We, we love Ivan. But he said this, you truly love Jesus to the degree that you love the most difficult person in your life. Now that stinks if it's true. <laughs> and I'm afraid it is. I think it, it is, unfortunately. That is a powerful point. If you internalize that, you really, authentically, truly reflect Jesus. You love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll love other people. And that's how I know you love me. You do what I say, 
And what does he say to do is love other people. So you truly love Jesus to the degree that you love the most difficult person in your life. So that's kind of tough. Here's the thing about sandpaper people in your life. Like sandpaper, it can be useful. It can be useful to rough out your rough edges, to smooth out your rough edges. Um, it, it can help you be, those people can be, help you become a more kingdom-minded person. Or they can just drive you crazy and, and, and rub you raw until it feels like all the kingdom has been squeezed right out of you, right? You ever had that experience? But the difference is not the other person. The difference is not how uh, difficult or annoying those people are. As we're going to see, the difference is the degree to which you allow God to use them to mature you. How much will you allow God to use them to grow you more and more into the image of Jesus? Okay? This morning, I want to zero in on three biblical principles I think are going to help us become more kingdom-minded, more Jesus-reflecting, Jesus-y, that's my word for it, trademark right there. Uh, Other-centric, we want to be those kind of people when it comes to dealing with the difficult people in our life. And before we jump into this, I want, I want, to, I want to start by doing this. I, right now, I want you to imagine one person in your life that you find difficult to deal with. It may be the most difficult person in your life right now. Just get a picture of them in your head. Everybody look straight ahead at me. Don't look around the room because then someone will know who you're thinking about. Imagine that person. Hold them in your mind. And if you are a, a committed follower of Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? We're going to pray this prayer together. Here it comes. There it is. Let's say this together. Here we go. Jesus, I surrender my will over to you. I commit to relating to this person the way you want me to. I confess I can't do this on my own. So as I learn about how you want me to relate to this person today, please empower me by the spirit who lives in me to remember what I learn and to apply this to my relationship to this person. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So three principles. The first one uh, you've heard me mention before because it really is foundational to absolutely everything, and so I've mentioned it many times, but here, it's simply this. Get your life from Christ. Get your life from Christ. Life, when I use this word, it's about our core need for worth and significance, our need for love and security, and everybody at their core, from the core of their being, everyone needs that. And that's what I mean when I say life. When we have that met, then we have a, a, a sense of fullness of life. Jesus said this. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. This is what it is to be fully alive right here. That you might have life and to have it to the full. And when these core needs are met in your life, that, then, then you have fullness of life. But only God can meet those needs. Only God. Remember how we said in the, a few weeks ago, in God's design, he formed you with this vacuum, right? We have a hole in our soul. And he formed you with this need because he wants to pour his fullness of life into us. And then he wants to cause us to live our lives overflowing to other people, right? We receive that life and then we pour it out. We are vessels of receiving and vessels of pouring. And that is what we, that's the kingdom life. His life flows in us and flows out of us. And when we do that, when we do that, we're reflecting Jesus' character, and scripture tells us that 
Jesus is the perfect revelation of Abba Father. You know, when you read the Bible from front to back, you kind of get a lot of pictures of God. You know, you can get some scary pictures, you can get some nice pictures, you get pictures from different people's viewpoints of God. And Scripture itself tells us Jesus is, you want to know what God looks like, what He really is like, Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect revelation of God. It is Jesus. And the, the perfect representation of His love always, always looks like Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. It, is, it always looks like self-sacrificial love. It always looks like ascribing worth to other people, even at cost to yourself when necessary. That is God's design. But if you're not getting your fullness of life from a relationship with God, which, let's face it, a vast majority of the world is not doing that, then you're going to live life hungry for those things. You're, you're still, you still have that hunger inside you for that fullness of life. And most people are unaware of it, but this becomes their primary motivator and it affects their relationships. So we take that hunger for, with us. And whatever we do, to some degree, is an attempt to meet that core need of significance and worth and love and security. Significance, worth, love and security. We, we all need to have that met. And so what we do is people take that into their relationships. We look for that in our relationships. And so then we view those relationships that we have is ultimately there to feed that need that we have. See? So if I'm not getting my life from Christ, well, what happens when I'm in a difficult relationship or I'm dealing with somebody that seems difficult? Then, of course, it's all about me, right? I'm framing it all in terms of me. I deserve better. This is, I'm not getting life from this person. I'm not getting all my, I'm not getting my worth and significance and, and love and security from this person. So it's all about me, me, me. And I deserve better. I deserve to be spoken to differently, right? I deserve to be treated differently. It's all about me and my rights. And I'm not, what I'm not getting out of this relationship. In the kingdom, we're going to keep coming back to this. We're to have a totally different framework. It's a totally different way to look at this because now we go into relationships not to get life, but to express life. Express the life that Jesus is pouring into us because we're getting our life from him. That's the way it's supposed to work. We get our life from him. That we've already gotten this life from Christ now, and so we get, our relationships become an overflow of that life, and that always looks like Jesus. It is a cross-shaped love. Theologians have a term for that, call it cruciform. It just means cross-shaped, cruciform. And the love that we are to live out because that love is perfectly expressed by Jesus, who is the perfect image of a self-sacrificial God. And so our love is a cruciform love. It is a cross-shaped love. So the most fundamental question that you need to ask yourself as you're holding that difficult person in your mind is this, am I finding all of my worth and significance and love and security? Am I finding that in Jesus? Or is there any part of me who is trying to get that from this relationship, this difficult relationship I'm in? Am I trying to get that from this person? Are you framing this relationship in terms of what you are getting from, what you're getting from this person or not getting from this person? Or are you framing it as an opportunity to manifest the life of Christ? This is a game changer right here. I mean, we could leave on this one if we would get this. Are we framing our relationships as an opportunity to manifest the life of Christ? So ask yourself, what does it look like for me to manifest 
God's fullness of life to this person. It doesn't matter how much of, a, of an arrogant, mean, self-centered, unself-aware, just whiny goober they are. It doesn't matter, right? The most difficult person that you can think of. This is the fundamental question that we're to live in. It's why Paul, he says this over in Ephesians 5. He says, live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Live in love. Live in love. We're to live in that. It doesn't matter whether they're nice, whether they're mean. It doesn't matter if they've done things that offended us or made lifestyle choices we don't like or don't agree with the things. It doesn't matter if they're fun to be with or they're so annoying it just makes your teeth hurt. <laughs> right? We are to live in this kind of love. And that love always looks like Christ dying on the cross, giving his life for others. Jesus said it even better in, in, over in Matthew chapter 5. He said it blatantly here. I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, when Jesus is saying this in Matthew, he is talking to a Jewish audience who are occupied and being terrorized by Romans who have conquered and oppressed them. These are real enemies. They didn't think of the Romans as annoying, Right? Romans and their shenanigans, right? It wasn't that. These are oppressors. These are terrorists, right? Real enemies. And he says, love your enemies, those difficult people. Pray for those difficult people. Even when they persecute you, he says that you might be children of your Father in heaven. Isn't that something? To, to be children. When we respond to difficult people, even enemies like this, it reflects how much we have the Father's DNA in us how we respond to people. You know that you are a children, that you are a child of, of the Father in heaven when you know, when you respond to difficult people in that way. And it's totally opposite of the way that the world outside of Christ wants to do it, the way our old nature wants to do it, right? And the way all of our brains want to respond. It's different than that. What does he say? He says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are to love like that. Do you get what he's saying? We love like that because that's how God loves. He doesn't love who deserves the love. He just loves. The rain doesn't choose who it falls on. The sun doesn't choose who it shines on. It just does what it does. And as children of Abba Father, we are supposed to do, we just do what we do, Amen. which is love. We do what we do. When we are getting our fullness of life, and love, and significance, and worth, and security, and all that good stuff from a relationship with Jesus, then everything that we do is just overflow. The way we treat people is overflow, and it's a unilateral sort of thing. It doesn't pick and choose. We don't, we don't choose who to love. We just love. Now, this is so opposite of how our natural minds and emotions want to react. Actually putting other people's well, <clears throat> excuse me, well-being above your own and if you're not getting your fullness from God, then you're always going to be putting your own well-being above others because you're going to be trying to get that need met. You're always going to be trying to get that need. Now, uh, uh, let me make this caveat here. Just so there's no chance that anyone misunderstands me. I always want to say this. I'm not talking about situations of abuse. Can I say that super clearly? I would say it 10 times. Can you get it the first time? I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. Um, 
if someone is abusing you, you do not have to put their happiness above your own. Amen. Okay? That's demonic. Uh, abuse is demonic. Get out of that situation. Any advice that tells you, any advice or pastor or leader or book or anything like that that tells you you need to stay in, a, in an abusive relationship, that is worse than absurd. It's despicable. Okay? You don't, you, you, you don't have to stay in abuse. What we're talking about here is not abusive relationships. What we're talking about here is difficult relationships. And that includes annoying people. It includes selfish people, even insensitive people, mean people. <clears throat> and as we, we're going to talk about in a few weeks, as I said, sometimes the most loving thing uh, that you can do for someone who is behaving truly toxic, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is, is walk away. When a relationship is dead, sometimes the thing you need to do with something that's dead is bury it. Otherwise, it infects everything around it. So, so there are times for that. But even then, even then in the kingdom, our motivation is totally different. Even then, when we have to walk away from, from a toxic relationship, it is, it's ultimately for their good. See, our whole motivation is different. It's for their good. It's because we don't want to enable something that is awful, right? Uh, or it's also out of love for the other relationships in your life because we have multiple relationships. And so sometimes there's other relationships that are being harmed by a person. But for people who are merely incredibly difficult to deal with, kingdom love means that we find our fullness of life in Jesus so that we can love others. We find our fullness of life in Jesus so that we can love others. Regularly remind yourself that everything you need all those needs you have inside, which are real needs. God made you with those needs. And they're resolved on the cross. They're resolved at Calvary. Spending time, just spend time, let Abba Father pour into you that life. And just, you got to drink deeply from it, right? Because that is the, the gasoline of the engine that the kingdom runs on. We can only be as kingdom as we are full of life from him. So, so, so get your life from Christ. Okay, second principle, number two examine yourself. Examine yourself. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Hmm. This is, this is a common scripture. It's a, it's, it hurts. It's one of those scriptures I don't like, right? It's a lot easier to notice the sawdust in someone else's eye but I got to look at my own stuff. And if you think that person that you're dealing with is just difficult, they're just horrible, they're just horrible people, it might just be the plank in your own eye that's obstructing your view. In week one of our series, we talked about filters. If you remember, we all see through these filters that we have in our brains. It's like a map by which we see the world, by which we interpret other people and their motives and what they're doing. And when we humble ourselves enough to consider our own shortcomings... And the ways that we may be excessively labeling this person as difficult, when we put in the work, and it's work, when we put in the work of trying to see things from their perspective, their history, their set of assumptions, it may be that you actually start to sympathize with them. You may begin to understand why they are the way they are. And that brings something beautiful, which is compassion. That brings compassion, which has a way of, of smoothing out the edginess of those things that were irritating you. When there is a difficult person in our life, our, our tendency is just to blame them, right? They're difficult. It's their fault. It, it takes the attention off of us. 
We just say, look at what a mean, nasty jerk face they are. They're this slimy, obnoxious know-it-all. How, how dare they? No wonder I'm mad, right? I have a perfect right to be mad. Look at the way they are. It's in its judgment. I'm, I'm the easy, healthy one. They're the, they're the unhealthy one. And we frame it like that, and it is a form of judgment. And, and friends, get this. Judgment is absolutely antithetical to love. This is so important. Here's why judgment is so toxic for Christians, guys. It is toxic because love is about ascribing unsurpassable worth to others, even at cost to yourself. Judgment is about detracting worth from others for the benefit of yourself. We make ourselves feel better by contrasting ourselves with them. So even if there is a situation that comes up where where you you need to confront a difficult person, there's some behavior that needs confronting, and that happens, and that's good. Uh, Something that they're doing maybe that is unhealthy for them or for others around them, the first thing the kingdom tells us to do, the scripture tells us to do in the kingdom, is is to look at ourselves. That's number one. We got to look at ourselves. What beam of wood might be in our own eye. And then, we'd ask the, and then we ask the question, do, are, are you in some ways contributing to the difficulty in this relationship? What might you be doing that's aggravating this? Uh, my wife Mel said something once that stuck with me forever. That is every single one of us is somebody's difficult person. Every single one of us is somebody's difficult person. And that's hard for, for some of us to, to accept, right? Because we just think we're just the greatest easy to live person in the world, right? Everybody likes us. And, you know, like, I know my, my mom and my wife think I'm the best. And so, boy, it's easy to be around them. But I'm well aware that there's probably lots of people in this room. It is just due to your incredible grace and mercy that you can stand all my grating idiosyncrasies, right? And so, I, you know, and, and the day that dawns on you, you, you're confronted with it when you see how some people feel about you. It can be like a real slap in the face, a wake-up call. You know, I can't even tell the story because it will point to too many directions in this room. But... Yeah, that moment when you, you're, you realize how little some people think of you. It's, uh, it's humbling, and it's a shock, and it hurts at first, and then you just got to, like, laugh because it's hilarious um, that they still go to this church. That's wonderful. How you, you're a bigger person than I am. Um, um, however, however fun and sweet and lovable you think you are, you're, someone out there finds you vexing, Right? Uh, and here's a couple of questions that we can ask ourselves. When imagining this difficult person in your life, does this way that I speak or act towards this person trigger them? Maybe it doesn't bother anybody else. Maybe it's just this person. But with them, it seems to set them off. There's something I do that sets them off. And if so, how can I interact with them differently that maybe will help diffuse the difficulty? Because here's the thing. A, a difficult relationship is not just about me. It's about us. Have you ever noticed, like, in a relationship between two people, you and someone else, the relationship itself is almost like a third entity? You know, there's you, and there's this person, and then there's this relationship. And you know, it's how you're some, you ever experienced this where you're kind of different around different people? It was like a, you know, you, you feel different, you act different, you just feel different. 
And so there's a relationship that's this entity that's created between people. So the problem may not just be with you. It may not just be with me. It may be that there's just some strange elixir that is created when we get together, right? There's just something. It has a life of itself. Secondly, does the way I speak or act with this person communicate their unsurpassable worth in God's eyes? Is the way I'm treating this person, the way I'm interacting with them, does it, am I communicating how much God finds them priceless? Am I communicating that? Do I show them respect? Is there something that I don't even notice I'm doing or saying that shows disrespect towards them? It could be a tone in our voice. It could be a gesture. It could be the littlest thing that is contributing towards this sort of toxicity between you. One of the best things to do here, and I'm telling you, this will require some true humility, um, which would be no problem for anybody here, but some people, let me tell you, is to ask this question, is there something... Go to that person. Go to the person and say, is there something I'm doing that contributes to this tension between us? That's a hard thing, especially for Southerners, right? (laughs) Are there things that I say or the way that I act that sets you off? Like, what is it? And let that person be your counselor. Be humble. Let them, it takes humbling, but it's best to go to the source, right? Because they are, we're usually not good at, at monitoring ourselves. We, we have a lot of blind spots. And if that doesn't get you anywhere, sometimes a healthy thing to do is ask someone else who knows you both, not to gossip about them, but to help you see where your blind spots are. And, and Jesus even uh, mentions something about this principle in Matthew 18. He says this, when you've got a problem with a person, an offense or something serious that has to be addressed, go to them one-on-one. Keep it as small as possible, he's saying here, right? You don't have to bring other people in yet. Just go to them one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, bring in two or three, helping you both see past these planks in your eye, right? Giving the whole situation a fresh perspective. Uh, Andy Stanley, who the author and you know, world-renowned pastor. He, he once said, one of the wisest questions we can ask others around us, and one of the most difficult questions to do, is what is it like to be on the other side of me? To, to go up to people, the people you work with, the people you, you live with, your friends, your people who are acquaintances, and ask them honestly, what's it like to be on the other side of me? That is so incredibly informative. Let me tell you, you got to have like a Zen monk level of health going on inside you to be able to go ask this question and want to hear the answer, right? Don't go asking it looking for flattery, right? Because you might be asking it thinking they're going to be like, you're amazing, you're perfect, right? But no, when they come back and go, yeah, sometimes you can be a little shrill, <laughs> right? Right? Sometimes you, you seem a little arrogant or sometimes you, you seem unsure of yourself or some, whatever it is, you know, those things, you, you need to go wanting the answer, right? And, and somebody who can, you can trust, Asking that, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Okay, so examine yourself. And then our third big principle, number three, set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. There's so much that's been written and talked about on this subject. Uh, I, I, I can't restate it any better. Um, books by Henry Cloud or Brene Brown. She has an incredible book out there, Braving the Wilderness, that just everybody should read. Uh, but these, these ideas of setting healthy boundaries. But again, here, we want to look past the pop psychology of the world and see what does the kingdom do here. This is really crucial because you can be, number one, full of life. You're getting your life from Christ. 
Um, you can be manifesting the kingdom everywhere you go. You could be doing number two, examining yourself and doing all of that, everything possible to address this difficulty. But in this world, uh, some difficult relationships are just not going to get undifficult. You know what I mean? Uh, some relationships are just not fixable. Some people are not fixable on this side of glory. <laughs> Sometimes you and the other person are just each other's kryptonite, and you just bring out the worst in each other, and you don't know why, and what, what, it just, there's, there's nothing in the world that's going to make you BFFs. And some things in the world are just going to be broken until the Lord comes back. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we deal with relationships with people that are difficult, especially if you're dealing with a relationship that's not just a difficult personality, but a toxic one. Boundaries become absolutely critical. Now, here's the thing. Even the way we frame boundaries in the kingdom should be different than the way the world does it. Because in the world, why do you have boundaries to protect you? It's kind of, you know, it's all about you. It's because it's all about you and you get into the relationship to get your needs met and boundaries are in place to protect your happiness, your energy, your comfort, whatever it is. It's all about you. And so the world says, you know, I need my boundaries. You need to get out of my business, you know, get step back and I need my safe space. And that's what it's all about. But in the kingdom, again, everything's different. In the kingdom, even the boundaries that we set with people, which is a healthy thing to do, but it has a kingdom purpose. Now the boundaries that we have in place reflect that character of Christ. They reflect that, that cruciform, cross-shaped love. And so what does that mean when it comes to our motivations? We're gonna, cut, we're gonna talk about some more scriptures that have to do with seeing boundaries the way Jesus did it and the way the apostles did it in the New Testament. In our home life groups this week, we'll talk some more about that. But for followers of Jesus, we put boundaries in place not to protect our little cubby hole of happiness, but we put them for the good of the relationship. That's the way we have to see this. We're putting it in place for the good of the relationship and for the good of the person that we're relating to. And we're doing it also for the good of all the other relationships that we are in. If we're walking in the spirit, then we've got responsibilities to relationships. And we all have relationships at different levels of intimacy, right? You have relationships at different levels. And so we have to balance those. You and I are not God, thank goodness. And that means we're not omnipotent beings. God can be completely 100% involved in your life intimately and involved in their life and your life and your life and my life all at the same time. You can't do that, right? Amen. You're not omnipotent. You're not omnipresent. And so we only have so much time and energy to go around and we have to balance how much time and energy we put into one relationship so, so there does need to be boundaries, especially when you're in difficult relationships, because that relationship has an effect on all your other relationships. You're a finite being. You are not infinite. You're finite. Now, on some, on some level, it's good for us to invest in relationships with people, and even those that are difficult. Those are good. Don't, I'm not saying flee difficult relationships. It's good for us to press in. Uh, those are good. They help mature me. They help humble me. But there is a point at which pouring more time and more emotional energy into that relationship could actually adverse, adversely affect my relationship with my wife. It can adversely relate my relationship with my kids, right? It, it could affect uh, my relationship with my uh, intimate circles, 
of, of friends, or those that I am called to personally mentor, or those that I am personally being mentored by. We all have these relationships in our life. It, it can even adversely affect my relationship with Christ. Everything gets affected, so I need to wisely put boundaries in place so that I can be a good steward of my time, my, my resources, and my energy, and how I protect all those relationships. It's not a self-centered thing to do. That's just being a good steward. And so it always needs to be there. You know, the truth is, all of our relationships have boundaries. When you think about it, all relationships that you have right now have boundaries. It's usually just that we don't talk about them, right? You don't usually meet up with people every six months and say, let's go back over our boundaries. How are we doing? You know, nobody does that, right? You don't do that. We don't talk about that. We don't notice them until someone steps over our boundary, right? You go along and all of a sudden some, somebody does something that feels a little weird. And what's happening is that there is this implicit boundary, unspoken, just assumed. You assumed we all knew it was there. And it's being stepped over. It's being violated. And so quickly, we, we, what do we do? We label this person, well, they're a difficult person, right? And, and what's really happened is that we just, we, we haven't clearly established boundaries with them. We're on two different wavelengths. They're not a bad person. We just haven't established what's, what's happening here between us. And so what happens is it quickly, uh, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get frustrated and someone will be angry and this becomes a difficult relationship. And for most people, uh, we just refuse to deal with it until someone just starts to ignore the other person more and more until we're just alerted ghosting them, right? Or that might have happened to you. Someone just stops calling for a while and then all of a sudden they're just gone and you never heard why. Because dealing with it feels too hard. It feels too awkward for some folks. We don't want to do the hard work of speaking truth and love, truth and love. Or so, or the other side of that is we just let it go on. We just let this relationship go on the way it's going, and we let the relationship just suck the life right out of us and around all the, the others who are around us too, because we don't want to confront it. We're, we're bad at this, and we're really bad at, like I said, we're here, here in our culture. Um, I heard a comedian say, it was a lady, she said, uh, I was raised in the South, and we aren't rude to each other's faces. Here in the South, we talk about people behind their back. It's called manners. <laughs> That's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. This is in New York City, right? We were like, hey, we're just like, yeah. We just push, push it down as low as it'll go inside us, and then we gossip about the person to other people, which is horrible, right? This is horrible. It's not kingdom. And, and it, seems, it seems rude. It seems strange for people to go, you know, you're really not that, that good of a friend to be calling me this much. <laughs> That's awkward. So we just sort of hint at it, and we, we can handle it in, you know, passive-aggressive ways. Um, but I'm telling you, in all honesty, there is a healthy, Christ-reflecting way to treat each other as having unsurpassable worth, unsurpassable dignity and worth and, and, and value, and still speak clearly about the relationship because we're brothers and sisters. Ultimately, we're brothers and sisters. That's what the Scripture calls us. Amen. So when you sense there's some ambiguity there, you're sensing, I, I think we're on two different wavelengths. Or someone is just maybe so completely unaware of, of how they're coming off. It is okay to say, I think we need to make things more explicit. Things that, you know, we assumed were implicit. We need to make it more explicit, more clear, less ambiguous about this relationship. Here's, here's how I see it. And um, 
what I am able to put in, you know, at this time. Here's what I can do. And here's what is not, and here's what's appropriate. And the other person, you know, they might be offended because maybe they had a different idea about it. Um, But you can do it in love. And the truth is you either confront it now and get it done or uh, someone's going to be hurt or it's just going to be sucking the life out of you and your other relationships around you that are, that are depending on you. And by the way, you might find yourself on the other end of this process, right? Uh, you might be the one that needs to receive some clarity uh, from someone and it might sting a little bit, but in the long run, it's going to be better. It's going to mature you if you'll allow it to, right? You're, you might be the one that needs, that gets the phone call like, I, I think we need, let's meet for coffee. We need to talk about this, right? Everybody's going to be terrified if I call you for coffee now. That's not, <laughs> no, sometimes coffee is just coffee. Um, but it's better to speak the truth in love than uh, with each other than, than to let it secretly just let each other get annoyed with each other and we get offended with each other. Amen? So, so friends, get your life from Christ. Be willing to examine yourself before you start putting all the blame onto the other person. And then put up those clear, healthy boundaries. Make things explicit in your relationship so there's not misunderstanding. Uh, the worship team's coming back up at this time. And here's how I'd like to end this message. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, um, I want to I pray again together. I'm going to ask you to think once more about that person that you've been thinking about today, that difficult relationship that you've been had in your mind throughout this sermon because you're going to be hopefully applying these principles to the relationship. And I want us to say this prayer. Let's, it's a restatement. It's a little bit different than the first prayer. All right? Let's say it. Here we go. Put it on the screen. There we go. Say it with me. Jesus, I surrender my will over to you. And I again commit to relating to this person the way you want me to. I ask to give me the wisdom to know how to apply what I've learned today to this relationship. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you enable me to live it out. Help me to reflect your love on absolutely everyone in my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.